Welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. And today's guest is Rebecca Godfrey. Rebecca is the founder of Ethio, a team and leadership transformation consultancy uh, with a focus on highly regulated technical industries. Rebecca is a scientist by background, having completed a PhD in immunology at the University of Cambridge. After a successful stint as a global director in two of the world's top 10 pharma companies, in 2018, Rebecca took the leap to set up Ethio to support individuals and, and leaders uh, build cohesive, high-performing teams with a focus on operational excellence. Let's welcome Rebecca. So what is it that you do for the people that don't know you? So I build what I call creative and future-proof teams in highly regulated industries. So uh, pharmaceutical, healthcare, banking, finance, all of that, really taking groups of people and leaders together disrupting the way that they work and just getting them to work in new and creative ways. But also, as I say, this future proofing is really important in making sure that they're set up for the, the numerous changes that are happening. We see Brexit coming, but also in highly regulated industries, we've got continuous change and continuous flux coming. So yeah, so spending my time with lots of different types of companies. Awesome. And, and you know, what was the main thing that attracted uh, me towards your profile was you do it through Lego. Yeah. What part does that play in, in the all of Well, last year, um, I was designing my leadership program. So my leadership methodology is based on my experience in a number of very senior um, roles in big pharmaceutical companies. And I was designing this methodology and I was cooking one day, it was a Sunday, and I was watching my husband and my seven-year-old son playing Lego. And I thought, you know what, the way that they were communicating, the way that they were leveled, um, my son is very extrovert. My husband's quite introverted. And it just balanced everything out. And I thought I was onto something. I developed this whole new invention. And then I realized that actually Lego Serious Play has been around for about 20 years. It is not my invention. Sadly, it's not. Um, but I started to look into it. And I was just bowled over with the power. And, you know, now I think in since November, we've had over 600 people in our workshops and from all different uh, walks of life, the, the, the kind of my key customers like banking, uh, pharmaceuticals and so on, but also engineers. I've worked with people in marketing. I've worked with people from management consultancy. And I'm, it, it never ceases to amaze me how this toy can be used in such a way to unlock insights that people had there in the background, but didn't really weren't thinking about them in the forefront of their mind, but also to really build connection amongst people. Um, and that's what I love to see, because if you have connection to, to the people that you work with and to the work that you do, everything else just becomes so much easier. How much do you think, how much of a role, my, my background is a, as a corporate consultant, right? Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of freelance work and, and had the opportunity to work in organizations, small to medium to large. And one thing I saw again and again was, you know, the, the work that you do is, has so much value is that the teams are not as coherent and not as functional as they should be mm. in tune. That's what I was looking for, not in tune. Mm. How much of, you know, hiring pro in this? I mean, obviously you can teach this and you can train people, but does it work all the time? Or is there times where you think this person is just not the right fit? For me, I always like to, before I get to that point, I always like to explore on, can we work in different ways? Because actually 
you know, I, I was watching somebody's video the other day and they're saying you should hire people that are like you, as in like your company. And I'm thinking, well, actually, you want a really wide, diverse range of different personalities, different um, personality preferences and how people operate. And that's why I like to use tools like the Lego as an example, where we can get the best out of each and every individual. And I think that it really makes me disappointed when I see companies kind of making a decision on somebody that this isn't working, we're not gelling, let's move on without fully exploring all of the possibilities. Because you can get two very, very different people to get in a room. And that can either be magic or it can be an absolute nightmare. Because if they're, you know, clashing heads and there's no common ground, but there's always common ground, you know, it can be from a personal level, it can be from what drives them, it can be, you know, how they like to operate. There's so many differences amongst us, but there's always at least one commonality between two individuals. So whenever I see conflict between people, I always like to explore on a deeper level first before kind of saying, ah, this isn't working. So I think, yes, they're always has to be that option at the end of, okay, we've tried, you know, we really have tried, this just isn't right for the individual or for the organization. But I think there's so many steps before then that often get jumped over. Right. And then you obviously, uh, you started your business recently. It wasn't, it wasn't, you were one always, you know, a business person. So when did you start? And then what were you doing before you started your business? So I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for about 12 years. So I started off as an academic research scientist in immunology. So I've got a PhD in immunology. And after I left Cambridge, I went down to London and did a postdoc for about six months um, and thought, this is not for me. and went into um, the pharmaceutical industry. And I was really lucky about two or three years in, I joined a consultancy. I was the third person to join. Um, it was owned by um, a, a group of individuals who, some of whom um, you know, were drug safety people like myself, and some were from different disciplines. And I had an idea about expanding part of the business into a particular area. And they kind of understood what I was talking about, but not the, the minutiae because they weren't um, subject matter experts, but they trusted me. And they said, okay, you know, go and, go and try it out. And it really worked. And we expanded over my first year. We expanded the business quite significantly. And I became a company director at the end of that first year. And I'd only been in the industry maybe four years or less at that point. So for a couple of years then, I ran the company with the other company director. And we were really successful. I absolutely loved it. And it was my, I kind of started off in my first management role there and then was running the business and growing it. Um, and I'm still very close friends with the owners and with the, the, the teams that I manage there. But after about three years, I thought, I really want to learn from other people. I could, I'd learned so much myself from, you know, getting, you know, really in deep with the regulations, speaking to the regulators. Um, but I wanted to go in, back into the big pharmaceutical companies to see if I could cut it in these big organizations. And then over the years, I had roles including global head and global director at two of the big top 10 pharma companies. But it got to uh, a few years back. I was on maternity leave and I had always dreamed of being in leadership development and team development. I've always felt that whilst I was very good at the science bit, the thing that was really giving me all of these successes was building teams, building organizations. And, you know, when I was global head, I was responsible for providing leadership for people in more than 90 countries. And I always thought that's where my skill lied, was getting people together, getting people working together better. But it wasn't until I was on maternity leave, um, I was about three years ago, um, and my dad was very unwell. 
Um, he had motor neuron disease, so we knew that he, he wasn't going to be with us for very long. And it was February 2017 when he passed away. And I remember as I was holding his hand in those final moments, I remember saying to myself, don't forget this. Because I'd lost my mum 15 years before, very suddenly. And it's amazing how quickly you suddenly go back into moaning about the weather and moaning about, you know, you know, really wanting a bar of chocolate or having a, somebody was a bit mean to you. You suddenly go back into the moans. But I remember sitting on dad's bedside and saying, don't ever forget this. And it was December of that year, so December 2017, his birthday, 27th of December, that I quit my job and I thought I'm going to do it. Because if seeing losing both my parents didn't teach me something, is that we don't know how long we've got. And I was again in the habit, you know, back in this rat race of not seeing my kids that much because I was managing a team that was based in Chicago. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I really... I really just need to try because I'm not going to try in this lifetime. When am I going to try? So it was about a year and a half ago that I set up um, ETO Limited. But really for much of 2018, I was building my methodology. And then I kind of got out there and started trading in November of last year. And it's just um, surpassed all expectations in terms of the companies that I'm working with, the work that I'm doing. And I get those real pinch me moments when I'm standing at the front of the room, I'm watching people and I just see these connections building. And then the feedback I'm getting, you know, I, I barely knew my colleagues and we've achieved so much. One of my clients said, we've achieved more in the last three hours than we would have in six months, usually. Wow. And I just think, you know, it's been so worth it. But um, speaking, I, vis- I was over in Dublin last week uh, for an event and I was talking to my to three of my aunties. And they said, how have you done it? How have you achieved so much in your business so quickly? And I said, well, losing dad was the scariest thing. Nothing else really seems scary now. So now I pick up the phone and just, you know, hey, you know, um, can you give me some help? Or, hey, do you, do you want to work together? Or can I be on your podcast? You know, I make these phone calls that I would never have a few years ago. But it's just been absolutely brilliant. But it really now feels like all of what I've been building over those 12 years was, of course, all of this pharmaceutical knowledge. But it was the leadership, the leadership under pressure, under strict regulations, where we want to innovate and progress, but yet we are really governed by these um, by these regulations as well. What was that? Uh, what was going through your mind and in your life at the point of time? You know, your father's passed passed away, and and you're thinking of you know I've got to make a move now. I'm sure you had insecurities, and you know how am I going to pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. What was what was going on there? Yeah. Oh, every day. (laughs) I have days where I'm like, you know what? This is amazing. I am rocking this the next day. What am I doing? I'm putting my family at financial risk. Um, And I speak to other entrepreneurs and they say, oh, don't worry about it. I've been doing this for five years. I get that every day. And I am a big sufferer of imposter syndrome. In fact, I talk about it a lot. Um, Back in 2014, I completely burnt out and ended up uh, spending three weeks in the Priory uh, down in Woking. just from, I was so constantly worried about, you know, I have this big like global head roll. Am I really that good? One day somebody's going to find out they've chosen the wrong person, spin the plates, spin the plates, because if any topple, they're going to find out that I'm not as clever as they think. So I've got a big history of that. And now my husband's incredibly supportive because now when I doubt myself, he'll say, um, is this the imposter talking or is this something genuinely you need to be worried about? So I think it comes back down to my purpose. So my my three values are connection, clarity, commitment. If people can be connected to each other and to their purpose, 
they can be clear on the scope of their role, their roles and responsibilities and where they're headed, and they're committed to that and to each other, everything becomes easier. And every time I doubt myself, I go back to that and think, do you know what? When dad was ill in those last two years of his life, I needed to be able to go to work, do a great job. But when my day ended, I needed to go and care for my dad and care for my kids and be there for my friends. It couldn't all be about work. And that's why when I doubt it, I just anchor myself back to that. Am I living those values? Am, am I still on the right direction for my purpose? And I know that sounds all a little bit cheesy, but if I get that, I'm like, Do you know what? It's hard. And I'm doubting myself because this is new, but I'm on the right track. But also I say, as I'm getting older, I realize that the bit, big benefit of getting older is you can look back and go, Do you know, what? I had doubts a few years ago and I absolutely smashed it. So yeah, having doubts, I'm still going to smash it. So it's kind of trying to have that confidence. But yeah, there are days where I'm sitting there biting my fingernails thinking, what on earth am I doing? Wow. Is there a company or, you know, that, that you look at and you think, wow, that's the kind of level if most company, companies could operate in, they'll be, they'll be amazing. Wait, what company do I aspire to operate like? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been really, really lucky. Last um, summer, I was chatting to a friend of mine and asking him how on earth he had achieved his business. He, he um, has an online business where he goes and now helps other people have an online business. And he gave me the book, Key Person of Influence by Daniel Priestley. And I read it in like a day and a half. And I just thought, this is incredible. Went to one of Daniel's events and very soon after um, signed up to his Key Person of Influence uh, program. And that to me has just completely changed it because what they've got is this amazing community. So they take you through their methodology where they help you become this key person of influence in your in your industry, but they do this through this really strong community. And, you know, I spent uh, the day with one of my uh, fellow KPIs um, talking through my launch plans for my development, my leadership development program. And that's something that I realized that when I was running that consultancy back a few years ago, I didn't have that community. And it's incredible to see an organization not only provide this great um uh, expertise to us, this knowledge, this training, but really um, wrap us up in this community so that we can learn, but we can also bounce ideas off each other. And I think that's something that I would love to bring to my clients, that when they are developing as leaders, they're within the community. Because if you are the head of a, let's say, 80-person company, you don't have a hundred other leaders at your level that you can talk to, like you do in a big pharmaceutical company. I could go to another global head and say, hey, can I get some advice? You don't have that when you're a founder of a, a small or medium-sized company. So that's something that when I look at the way that they really embody this community, that's really aspirational for me. What does a good leader look like to you? A good leader to me is somebody who is honest, who's transparent. And I know this word is really used so much, <laughs> authentic, but I think somebody just needs to be who they are. I am, as you may have guessed, a bit of a chatterbox. And I have gone into roles in the past and I've been so worried about how much I talk that I've tried to be the quiet, reserved person. And all I came across as was, was, was not authentic. You know, if you can be at peace with who you are and, you know, understand your strengths, but also recognize your blind spots and really make the most of your strengths and be aware of those blind spots. I think as a leader, you're just so much more open as well. 
Um, I don't believe in hierarchy. I very much believe in distributed control. You know, there's not, you know, when I was running that consultancy, I used to say to my team, my biggest fear was walking into a room and the jokes stopping. You know, everyone's suddenly sitting up to attention. You know, you want to be part of your team as well. And I think if you're honest and open and you're clear on where you're going and you involve your people with you, they become your tribe rather than, you know, people that report to you. So I think that's the best place to start. There's so, I could talk about this for five hours, but I think just being who you are and being honest and open and transparent is the most important thing for me. You, you may or may not know this, but I have to ask you this question. I was, uh, I was interviewing Kasim. He's the uh, CEO of Wow Group of companies and um, was talking about leadership and, and because you build teams, so I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you follow, first of all, do you follow football at all? No. You don't? Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you the question anyway. Give the, your best answer. So I asked him this. I said, at this present moment, it was, it's my team and that's his team as well. It's Manchester United. And at the moment, look, they, they have the history, they have the money, and they've spent over 500 million and they can't seem to get it right, right? So I asked him two questions. I said, first of all, you're, you have all the power. What was the first thing would you do to fix the issue? So at the moment, they have a CEO and they have a manager who's inexperienced and they've spent over four, 500 million. They've had over three or four managers, all have failed to deliver. They've recruited the wrong people, the wrong teams, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the wrong people for the culture. What was the first thing you do? Oh, that is hard. I don't know football. I don't understand it. So these are, the managers have come in, been ineffective, and literally like a conveyor belt. Some in. have been had some success, but not in all areas. Some play very good football, but not don't win anything. Some won a trophy, but don't play very good football, and are not have the same values and philosophy of the club. You see, that's the thing. That's the first thing. Is I think that. If you, when you join an organization as a leader, I think you need to be very clear on what are the values of that organization and are they aligned? Because if you can't come in and live and breathe those values, or if you're a founder, develop those values with your team. And again, I'm, and that's where, why I like the Lego stuff is because it's about us all building together, not about the leader building something sitting in their office and then just dictating it down. Now, this is something that I do know about football. Is it Gareth Southgate, the England manager? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. I know a bit about football. <laughs> Listening to him when they were asking him about what he did right, he did a lot of team development away from football. He built the trust in the team. And I don't know if you watched the recent uh, program, Prince William was on at Gareth Southgate, and they were talking about mental health and how important it was to talk about mental health in football and in by building that trust and building out those relationships, that again allows for the discussion. So it means that if there is a performance issue or if there's something not quite gelling, but it's a team that gets on and they don't all have to like each other, but if they get each other, if they understand it, and if it is that safer environment, it's a better way to start. So I don't know if that would work in football, but that definitely seems to be working for England because the only football matches I ever watch are the World Cup. Um, <laughs> and they seem to be doing all right. But I, but I think building that connection within the team is so, so important, especially in a team like football, where you have that change constantly. Because people think a new team has to be a completely new team. One person joining or leaving an organization creates a new team. You know, if you have 10 people and just one leaves and one joins, that's a new team, there's new dynamics. So you need to do work again to keep that trust and connection going. So that's what I'd do if I became the, the man United manager. <laughs> You know what? You, your, your answer is not too dissimilar to his. And I, I told him, um, apart from the fact, he said the same thing. Um, he said, 
that the culture is the first thing I would fix. I'll fire the CEO and when I become the CEO, if I'm then the CEO, the first thing I'll do is I'll get the culture right. I'll get the right people that believe and buy into the same philosophy and then you can build together and then train people and all of that. And you had a very similar answer. And, and the, the previous Man United manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, his only difference to what you said earlier on about building a team was he, he believed that distancing himself from his players created respect. Ooh. So, and, and, and that's where when you said, that, that hence I asked you the question, see how well it works with different pe- teams and different people. He's obviously dealing with young players, young people who are very wealthy, very rich, or going to be very rich, very quick and very soon and have all of that. So deal with this egos. Does, does one size fits all? Uh, where do you draw that line? And that's where your answer is slightly differentiated from his. Mm-hmm. And I was very interested to know, you know, I'm sure there's, there's A players in, in, in companies that have, um, I can think of sales, right? You know, sales reps that do sales in millions. I'm sure they have the same kind of ego and same kind of level. How do you make sure that by doing what you do, that, you know, they're all at the same level and they're buying to the same philosophy? So again, I think whenever you're developing any kind of strategy with the team, for me, there is so much value in including people in the discussion and looking at ways that how you can make that a truly inclusive discussion. So let's say 20 people in a team. Just having 20 people in the room doesn't make that an inclusive discussion. Having 20 people in the room and designing that room so that it allows everybody to input, that's a truly inclusive discussion. So we talk about... Um, I often talk about the 80-20 rule, 80% of the talking being done by 20% of the people. It can be down to experience. It can be down to extroversion, introversion. It can be down to hierarchy. But let's say of those 20, five are sales and marketing, four are IT, you've got uh, the technicians, you've got the management. If you don't hear from the four people that represent a particular division, you're making a decision blind to what's going to happen in that part of the company. Now, what happens more often than not, certainly in project teams, is you have one person representing a team. So you've got five teams coming together, but there's just one representative. So if that person happens to be somebody with an introversion preference, which doesn't mean they're shy, it just means they need time to reflect. They, they want to, um, they don't want to talk it all out. They want to spend time to reflect. And they also want time to maybe look at other data. If you don't allow for that and you say, right, we need to make a decision quickly now, you're losing out on that insight. And that might be incredible insight. I had a team member a few years ago that that was the way she operated. And she had absolute gold when she contributed. But we had to make sure that when we designed the workshop, it wasn't just around people operating like I do. I like to talk out my ideas. Probably drives people mad sometimes because I like to do that. But that's okay. But we can't design all the workshops just to suit me. It has to work suit everybody. So I think that's the key thing is that you really want to make sure that you're hearing from everybody regardless of their personality preference, regardless of their competence, regardless of their tenure at the company, if there's a reason for them to be involved in the discussion, and I would say that, you know, when you're setting direction and things like that, that's a good reason, then make sure you are really looking at how you can design it so that it is going to benefit the individuals to get the best out of them, because that's what's going to benefit the organization. Wow. Interesting. You know, your journey has been very interesting and, and, you know, very, a lot of ups and downs. So during the downs, what kept you going? For me, I, you know, especially in the last few years, um, when my dad got ill, I remember being in my kitchen. I was rushing out with my son, who was like two or three at the time. And my dad texted me saying, um, have you got a minute? 
And I said, sorry, dad, I'm really busy. Is it important? And he said, yes. Now, my dad would never normally do that. He'd normally be like, he'd always say, yes, love you. Whenever you're ready, you know, I don't want to bother you. And I called him and he said, um, I've just been to the neurologist about the trapped nerve in my back because his only symptom was a limp. And he said, they think I've got motor neuron disease. Do you know what that is? Now, a lot of people know motor neuron disease because of Stephen Hawking, but Stephen Hawking had a very unusual course in that he lived a very long time. If you watch the films about him, they thought he was only going to have a couple of years, but the majority of people die within a few short years. And to have to explain to my family what motor neuron disease was, because I knew about it, I looked into it more. But to go back into my job in the pharmaceutical industry, it gave it a whole different perspective of how important the work we do is. It gave me the perspective that, you know, we were look, working on drugs in clinical trials that had the potential to significantly change the lives of people and save the lives of people. I'd always known that was important, always. But to see it in your day-to-day life, I'd never been involved in hospitals. I'd never been in intensive care. And all of a sudden, this was becoming my life. And it gave that whole different perspective. But as I said, it also reminded me that we all have worries outside. You know, you can see the happiest person in your workplace. You don't know that they're happy. You know, we all go through so much stuff at home. And I think going through difficult times, it always comes back to, am I doing what is making me happy? You know, I've got two kids and my company, Ethio, is actually named after my children, Ethan and Theo. So it's my reminder as to why. It means I can't have any more kids unless I call them limited, which I think is unfair. (laughs) But it's every day. My logo is everywhere. It's a reminder as why I do what I do. You know, because I may have lost my parents, but I was so blessed with my two boys. My husband is also a scientist, a hugely talented scientist. And I think we've always just been so clear on the value of the work that we do. Um, when I do my workshops, um, if I'm having a day where, you know, it's a particularly long day. Last week, I did three workshops in a week. So by the end of the week, I was exhausted. And you get a message from somebody from your workshop, just a private message saying, just thanks. This was amazing. And you think that's why I do what I do. So I think it's a balance between understanding, you know, really keeping an eye on what you've got personally. That is such a gift. Um, and there's always good in the world and what I have in my work as well. You know, not everybody in this world gets to do work that they're passionate about, that they believe in. And um, so I think those of us that do really need to, no matter how bad a day is at work, understand how lucky we are. Wow, awesome. And, and, and sort of uh, now we're coming towards the end of the show. What's, what's next for you? What's the next big thing coming up? What so, can we expect? Uh, it's a very big summer. Um, So I am launching my leadership development program this autumn, which is called the Leadership Vaccine, um, which is because I'm an immunologist, but the concept of vaccinate your leaders, secure the future of your teams. It's a very practical methodology that allows leaders to be able to go and get to work. It's not something that they constantly need me. It's giving them tools so that they can go back to their organizations. Um, So over the summer, I'm going to be getting a load of content out there. I'm starting a podcast as well, learning from the pro here today. Um, So, yeah, so it's all leadership vaccine, as well as, of course, some really great workshops I've got coming up with some fantastic clients over the next month. So it's it's definitely not going to get quieter. But um, having spent, you know, the last year building this methodology and, you know, really analyzing all of my successes and the failures um, and being able to actually get this out there to people, is great. And uh, I'm writing a book. So I'm hoping 
the book will be out by Christmas, if not shortly after. So, oh, yeah. awesome. so we'll be just a couple of months apart then. Yeah. Oh, my, my book's coming out as well. Oh, <laughs> around, around that time. oh brilliant. Oh, well, where can people uh, connect with you, find out more about your, yourself, your program? So my home is very much on LinkedIn. Um, it's where I spend far too much of my time. Um, I'm trying to get on Instagram, but I'm not as savvy on Instagram. But yeah, and also my website, which is uh, ethio.limited. Um, limited spelled out uh, L-I-M-I-T-E-D. Awesome. And finally, any final words? Yeah, no, just thank you so much. I have to say, I love the title of, of this podcast. Um, as soon as I saw it, it just reminded me of why I do what I do because you do have to be brave um, but if you are brave and you are open you can just have amazing things happen so thank you so much for having me oh, thank you my pleasure you are now I can now officially say I know the most intelligent family <laughs> uh, you know two scientists two kids probably combined IQ of four or 500 <laughs> that's a lot of brain power yeah my seven-year-old is a genius in the making he uh, keeps me on my toes I'll tell you that <laughs> We'll be best friends now. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, your insights. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun with your host, Jasper. If you love this episode, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Also, make sure you visit www.jazzbearaurora.com to access the show notes. And if you are thinking about uh, starting your business, then take our Escape the 9 to 5 survey to see if you're ready. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.